Welcome to Art Openings, the podcast where there are no gatekeepers, no stupid questions, and art for all. Hosted by Courtney Jordan and Samantha Sanders and sponsored by Artist Network. Do you love going to galleries and museums to check out the latest artwork on the scene? Do you love looking at art and stock painters and makers the way your friends moon over celebs? Do you consider the wall space above your living room sofa sacred? If you answered yes to any of these questions and have just a scant square foot of wall space to call your own, you've got what it takes to become an art collector. In today's episode, we delve into why collecting is in crisis and what you can do about it, what the rise of the celebrity collector means to us. Plus, we dish with a special guest who's an exotic species of art collector, one who isn't a bazillionaire, a.k.a. an ordinary dude in the studio. A person just like you and how he found himself an art collector almost without a plan and without tons of disposable income to do it with. We'll cover that and much more right after this short break. It might not seem that way, but art collecting is in crisis, which is why this whole discussion about realizing how easily and accessibly anyone can be a collector matters right now. So I say, yes, crisis, and you ask why. So in my mind, that's because art collecting is going from the realm of, I collect because I love these objects, I love supporting these artists, and I want sort of to make those things a part of my life, and instead commercializing and making art more and more an asset, which is where this recent study um, on boomer versus millennial art collectors and everyone sort of on that spectrum came in. Millennial art collectors make up 27% of the art collector bucket, and they are twice as likely as previous generations to view art as an asset class. Do not let this be you is my recommendation to anyone listening because aesthetic pleasure is constantly being eroded by dollar signs. But art collecting, if you don't love it, you're never going to really truly adhere to what that can be all about for you and in your life. So more and more young collectors want to focus on how their art behaves as a financial asset. But understand, this is a result of how we are treating art and how we've put the dollar above creativity. And as a result, those of us who would be collecting for the right reasons aren't getting in the game. But in fact, the game is sort of made for us. Um, Meanwhile, just to update us on what the art collecting sphere looks like, super celebs, the rise of the celebrity um, art collector is um, ever-present. I mean, people are always making connections between, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio and he's involved with this uh, mogul who's doing an app, um, you know, to give you and service art based on your, I don't know, weird dating profile or whatever. And then Portia de Rossi. The Shazam for art. <laughs> exactly. It's the Shazam That's for exactly art. it. And then Portia de Rossi. Um, she's a self-proclaimed artist. And I don't say that. I sort of say that snarkily. Um, and I think a, self before. <laughs> self-proclaimed. <laughs> yes. Uh, a big time collector. But she also um, created General Public. Um, and that produces uh, three-dimensional reproductions of artwork. Uh, when you delve into that that seems a little strange, but again, big names are getting in the game. In the game, and they are um, definitely at the one percenter level. Like everyone they're collecting, you probably have heard about because they're blue chippers. Um, I'm always intrigued when I hear someone who's collecting a big name who's collecting someone I don't know because um, that can be rare. So then. There are. So we have people who are more and more putting the dollar sign around art and making it only about as an asset or something they can resell, which is another thing millennials are more likely to do, resell art, which never is a good conversation to have with your gallerist, FYI. Um, But then on the other hand, there are just the uber rich and the uber famous doing art collecting. So where do the normals fit in? How, How do we find ourselves? I think one of the things we should do is sort of break it down to the very basics, the very elemental. What do you consider? What's your definition of collecting Um, as it pertains to art? Hmm. I mean, I guess it's by doing. For me, if I consider myself a collector, I I guess small C, you know, like I set aside money every year and I use it to buy art. I have bought art from artists on eBay and galleries. Um, I think it's just a matter of if you are making art a part of your life and you are making it a part of like 
the objects you have in your, I mean, your home. Mm -hmm. I think that's, for me, the average person isn't going to be buying art and then putting it in storage, which is a totally different level. Like, Mm -hmm. people our um, speed are going to be collecting things, I hope, because they respond to it and they, you know, simultaneously enjoy the benefit of being able to support someone who's a creative, you know, maker, and at the same time would love that thing in their home. Are you a collector if you buy things at Goodwill? Yes. Are you a collector if you buy prints? Yes. Explain that. <laughs> so, okay, you could buy you could buy an original piece of art um, at Goodwill. You could buy a weird collection of uh, campy posters um, at Goodwill. And I think those collections make you a collector. I mean, think of... Like grandpas collect stamps and coins. I mean, <laughs> people have collections of things. We're just sort of saying it's an art. Like that's the, you know, the the scooper. It's a, just an art specific scooper up. So why do you think <laughs> when you say, okay, when you say I'm just gonna Technical push back on some of the things you said. Scooper. Um, yes. When push. you say that collecting is in crisis, mm. do you mean Literally, that fewer people are buying and collecting art. No, I am saying that I think the one thing that will allow collecting to main like maintain its um, true enjoyment, like something what's what someone will really get out of it, is in crisis because we're saying it's actually about what it's worth monetarily and solely that way, as opposed to the pieces that I'm thinking of on my wall. I honestly, I mean, I sh- I could remember probably because I don't have that many that how much I paid for them, but that's not what it was about. That wasn't about it when I bought it, except if I could afford it, and it's not about it now. And I have. Do you think it's always black and white? Like, do you think that someone can view it as an investment and completely enjoy it? Totally. And I think that means, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can understand that, but I don't think that should be the main. Uh, that main thrust is going to prove the burnout of a lot of collectors. Or collectors who basically are just portfolioizing there, you know? I Like, if it's not about you and what you're into, then I don't think there's longevity. Like, commit to committing to something is crucial. I don't think you can really commit to money the way you can to uh, your enjoyment of art. Mm. Okay, so I'm curious <laughs> that what... A, was that a doubting, mm? Yeah, what do you think? What do you it, think a collector is? It's like a, is? I reserve the right to continue to push back. Mm. It's a when you least expect it. Mm. I know. So I'm curious what our guest today yes. has to say about a lot of that and much more. So we'll be back in just a moment to talk with our special guest today. Artist Network is proud to present SketchCon in collaboration with Sketchbook School. For three fun-packed days, we'll experience a non-stop extravaganza of rich visual presentations, inspirational talks, collaborative art projects, technical demonstrations, sketch crawls, and one-on-one advice. For the first time ever, over 500 creative folks, including many top sketchbook artists from around the world, will gather in sunny Pasadena this November 2nd through 4th to celebrate our art. We'll share tips, techniques, and ideas on drawing people, urban sketching, travel journaling, lettering, design, watercolor, and so much more. We'll learn about new art materials and new ways to fill our sketchbooks. We'll draw together, laugh together, eat and drink together, and leave filled with new ideas and creative inspiration. If you love to draw and paint in your sketchbook, you have to join us. Hurry, tickets are limited, and we know we say this all the time, but really, they are selling fast. So register at sketchcon.com. That's S-K-E-T-C-H-K-O-N.com. All right, so we are back, and uh, I want to introduce you to someone um, next who we invited on the program just because, uh, well, I knew him personally, and I knew a little bit about his personal story and his journey um, in terms of collecting. And because his his collection is a little, it's a it's prominent, so we're just going to give him a little bit of anonymity. Um, so this is Mike, who's joining us today. Um, Mike, we really appreciate you coming and joining us on the podcast. Yes. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Um, I do have some questions for you, but I'm wondering if as you as you sat and listened to us babble there for a little bit, do you have any thoughts about babble. what we were intelligent yes, babble, babble intelligently? <laughs> yes, I, I certainly would fall into the category of someone who started um, for the love of the art itself, um, someone who didn't have a lot of money and certainly would never be a person who would be able to or was even willing or, or had any 
gumption to compete on any level with anyone. Um, it was about me. It was about what I was responding to. Um, I think that that's absolutely true. What I see and read um, about um, certain uh, sectors of art and certain artists have been co-opted by. Um, I'm not calling anyone out specifically and saying that they caved in or, or anything or sold out. Uh, but it's really clear that um, there's a lot of wealthy people out there who feel that they can pretty much take art away from anyone else who would like to have access to it as well. Mm -hmm. um, it's a big game for them. Um, and um, that's about as much attention as I pay to it. I, I, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's sad for me. These are artists that certainly uh, weren't as big as they were at one point in their life, and <laughs> yeah. they started somewhere too. And, and um, I hope it hasn't changed them as people, mm -hmm. um, which can happen also. Now, you've talked a little bit, of, and I want to get into this more, about the notion of relationship building um, with artists as it relates to collecting. And I, I wonder, from your perspective, and knowing that you know money does change things, do you feel like it's an uneasy alliance between much of the art you've collected has been street art, right? Correct. Do you feel like it's an uneasy alliance between those two camps, street artists and the the moneyed class who's collecting their art? Uh, absolutely, when they're first starting out, mm -hmm. sure. Um, when they're starting out, um, they're usually in collectives of mm -hmm. friends they maybe met at art school or they met locally through mm -hmm. other friends that are about the same age, doing the same kind of thing, having the same interests, and uh, putting on their own shows um, mm -hmm. because they couldn't afford, they weren't represented by anybody. Um, they not necessarily had any interest in doing that yet. Mm -hmm. um, did they need money? Yes. Did they need to pay the rent and put food on the table? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, but art was really, really important for them, and it got them up out of bed every morning. And um, they stuck to it. It took a long time, but eventually... Um, they started taking their art outside um, for free for mm -hmm. people to see it in public spaces on the way to the subway stop, et cetera, um, on the side of your bodega. Yeah. Um, a lot of times you didn't, there was no name associated mm -hmm. with it, but uh, that was the idea. You know, we, we're, we don't think, now, I don't want to speak for them, in, but in general, mm -hmm. the idea was that public space is public space, uh, private property is a real thing. However, why can't, if you're, if you're going to put a, an actual advertisement by a paid corporation up on a wall, why can't I put my piece of art next to that? Mm -hmm. Aren't they both the same thing? Mm -hmm. That was the basic argument. Yeah. And um, so more and more that started happening and then, you know, it was illegal activity and mm -hmm. they were doing things against the law and the police were starting to get involved because people were complaining. Um, but those people that were doing that it was a social cause for them. It yeah. was important for them. The public space was, and private space was a very, very important area mm -hmm. for them. So they really weren't thinking about money in galleries at all. Um, and uh, if those people came sniffing around, you know, they either said okay or many of them said no, no, yeah. no, no interest. So set the scene for us what era you're talking about. First of all, when did you begin collecting in earnest? I uh, In the early knots. Okay. So... Um, this would be um, my biggest year would probably have been 2004, but okay. I've been, I was active about three years before that. Okay. A, a long story short, I got a serious surfing accident in 2001 mm -hmm. in another country, and I got back to the U.S. and had a, a big operation, and I was off and doing rehab for a long period of time. At some point, one of the doctors said, you know, you said you used to do sports. We got to get you up and running here. Like, did you do anything like skateboarding or anything like that? Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, when I was a kid, that's all I did. And he said, you want, you might want to go back to your roots and do that. I started doing that, and I was doing this on weekdays or Sundays when not a lot of people were around because everyone was at work or in school. And I started noticing all this stuff that we're talking about yeah. on walls um, in northern part of Brooklyn where I used to live, and I was really curious, like, what is this? It wasn't graffiti. It, it was yeah. a wheat paste. It was a unique items that were stuck on walls. Um, and they were specifically placed. You could stand back, mm -hmm. and it was almost like part of a composition. Um, and again, there's no names associated with it, but I started taking pictures um, just for my own benefit, showing people, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this in bars? Because bar was your local community center yeah. back then. And then... Um, Lo and behold, I walk into a bookstore one day and I see a book called uh, I and Y, the blank in and Y. Mm -hmm. um, in this case, was a, a building in Soho, a picture of a building in Soho that had a bunch of street art on it. Yeah. So and so, some guy had gone out and saw the stuff that I saw and a lot more, and he published a book. 
And I said, wow, someone, someone's seen all this too. There was contact information in the back of the book. I stuffed all my pictures in a little envelope and an old snail mail, mailed it to him. And I said, you know, I've, this is stuff I saw in my neighborhood. He wrote me back and he said, that's great. I love this one. I love this one. And if you're interested, I'm going to go see this show that has some of these people in it. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got started. Really? That's an amazing kind of pre-social media story because it's right yeah. on the cusp of when that started to happen. And now... Um, we were talking about this on the way over, talking about street art and kind of the Instagramification of everything and how everything's sort of part of the content churn now. And it's very different now, I think, when you look um, on a wall and see something there versus 10, 15 years ago, because I get intent all mixed up in it, like who put this here? Is this like an actual artistic statement or is this something very cynical and calculated someone put here so that someone would stop in front of their gallery and take a photo with it and tag it? It's a, it's a strange world we're in now. So the, the era that you got started collecting in is a really unique one, I think. For the reason you stated, it was extremely difficult to track these people down if mm-hmm. you were interested. Um, and if you're interested, how far could you really go? Could you, do they have a studio? Yeah. Did you go to their apartment? Yeah. Um, is this done at the middle of the night? Like, you know, because a lot of these people didn't want people looking for them. They mm-hmm. were doing illegal activity. And some of them were getting arrested and they were spending a little bit of time in jail and mm-hmm. they had to do community service and um, et cetera, et cetera. And the, you know, the photo logs of the pre- precursors of Instagram happened mm-hmm. about the mid 2000s. Mm-hmm. And so you started to see people post then. But before that, you couldn't do that. So, how I literally got started, I don't know if you want to jump to this about yeah. collecting, is is um, I went to a couple of these shows with my this guy, Kelly Burns, and um, he introduced me a lot of people, and these were very easy to get along with people and they were very open to talk about their stuff. And um, you sort of, you know, you see him again at the next one and the next one, and you say, oh, hey, how's it going? How's it going? Um, then I was walking with my wife one day in North Brooklyn, and on the side of a warehouse door was this huge, elaborate, life-size rendering of a person. Mm-hmm. And the tapestry of their clothing and their hair had elements of the city mm-hmm. I- embedded in them. It was a really unique image, and it was very striking. Mm-hmm. I ran over to it. I had never seen anything like it before, and the two guys that were, were you know, sort of staying in that building illegally, they came out and they go, do you know who did this? And I said, I remember saying, I said, no, but I'm going to find out. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the same Kelly Burns uh, introduced me to a um, an entity. It was a blog back then called the Wooster Collective, which was um, something that started off as one thing and it mm-hmm. evolved into kind of like a little community center online. Mm-hmm. Speaking about online, this was really the first place you could go where they were highlighting who these artists were, posting their work, mm-hmm. and telling you dates of shows and where they were going to be. Which and must have been revolutionary at the time. Absolutely. It got worldwide claim very quickly because they were th- that was it. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, so um, I went on one of their little excursion projects they had, which was an art walk tour. Mm-hmm. And so they're showing pieces, telling stories, who the artists are, explaining the significance of the location mm-hmm. and why it was done and the techniques uh, that the artists use. It was very informative. Lo and behold, about halfway through, there was this piece that I had seen before. Yeah. And they said who it was. And now I had a name. <laughs> now it was just pure detective work. I did go online. I Googled a name. Yeah. I got a couple of hits. That was it. And it, there wasn't very much information. They yeah. were part of a collective. They were doing this project in this city, this thing mm-hmm. there. Way in the fine print at the bottom of some press release and some small newspaper had a email address oh my God. <laughs> listed for this person. And so I, mm-hmm. I wrote them. And mm-hmm. that was, it took a few months building trust. Yeah. I had to be very careful how I asked questions. Um, why I was in there, she, she asked me a lot of questions. So this truly was relationship building. This is not, this was not an era where Never you could... Never met this person. They wow. didn't know if I was a real person or, yeah. or someone else or that was my name. Some elite um, art unit cop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, to <laughs> be honest, crazy. that's really what it came down yeah. to. They had to be very, very protective. And uh, th- she asked a lot of very specific questions and, mm-hmm. and, and, and tough to answer some of them. Like, why do you actually like mine? I mean, like, Why? 
you know. Did that put you off at all or did that make you more encouraged to continue? No. Um, the the original piece that I saw was so striking. I mm-hmm. couldn't get it out of my head. It's one of those moments in life where like, I really need to follow this through. I don't know why, but it seems really important for me yeah. to do this. And I was... I was alone. I mean, I didn't know what the right questions were to mm-hmm. ask, let alone the right answers. I, but I just as carefully and as honestly as I could. Eventually, they said, well, I'm going to be in a group show. This mm-hmm. is the date. If you want to come by, maybe we can have a chat. Wow. So I did that. I brought my wife with me and I got cold feet. Really? Yeah. yeah. Now this was a this was an actually a nice Chelsea gallery um, okay. that was putting on probably one of the first mm-hmm. sort of, but it was it was a conceptual thing. It was um, the great thing about street art for a lot of these people was you know you can look at it for free on the site of the gallery or right. you can go in and pay eight thousand dollars for the same thing. You know mm-hmm. they they preferred the free part. You know like mm-hmm. they, but they were going to put it in the gallery because mm-hmm. someone said they couldn't. Maybe they can sell it. And maybe I'll get to buy some art supplies. You know right. but but really it was about you know two worlds right a few feet from each other. And so that was a con- concept of this show was yeah. all the artists had developed something outside the gallery that was linked directly to their work inside. Mm-hmm. It was like a one foot in the gallery space represents 100 feet outside. Mm. It was called one to 100 ratio. Okay. That was the title of the show. So, so I got cold feet, but my, my wife, you know, she landed the plane. She, she walked right up to her and she said, listen, my husband's been communicating with really? you and he's really nervous to meet <laughs> you. And uh, she grilled my wife too. She, she wow. said, well, why do you like it? You know, like that. My wife had a very very specific answer for her she said, so I like she was it. able to answer and she did also she, like it she did and then i was i was in i guess in a way so wow. eventually uh over several more months uh were invited one night over to mm-hmm. this person's living space which was also their studio mm-hmm. and um we bought four pieces and that was also unplanned yeah um this was brand new territory it was they were nervous we were nervous Wow. Um, I'm not trying to be over dramatic, but I, I remember it very clearly. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was just new for everybody. Yeah, this person has still didn't have any representation. Getting pretty well known, but not not you know. There's mm-hmm. no no big galleries, no big dollar signs, and um, I remember her being quite overwhelmed that we said the number four mm-hmm. that, that we were going to take four pieces, and um, it was a fair amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember them cradling sitting in the ground cradling the check yeah and we went away and um at a later date these would be wrapped up and delivered mm-hmm. to us like covertly for some reason i don't know why but <laughs> um uh to make a long story short i remember going home that night and saying, you know i i think we did something for somebody tonight yeah i think i think we helped mm-hmm. someone maybe eat Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> pay the rent or maybe get some more art supplies mm-hmm. i think i mean I'm, i think that's what happened here yeah. you know and it turns out that I, i'm pretty sure that that's was the right place at the right time we both sort of needed each other for yeah. different reasons so i'm really interested in what finally pushed you over the edge and made you say we are going to take this action i mean clearly your wife stepped in and was able to talk with the artist but in that moment you went there with the intention to buy something and i'm assuming you and your wife had talked about money beforehand we're willing to spend up to this um but what actually made you pull the trigger because i think that's what a lot of people don't get past they think uh maybe i'd like to do this but this is a critical question if you at that moment i didn't think of myself as a collector this is the first purchase Mm -hmm. now purchasing four from the same artist could you know throw you into that category you're yeah. collecting this person now because you got four mm-hmm. um, however it's a really great question because both sides don't know how to handle it it's it's it's, it's a they very emotional it's a weird transaction it's really emotionally. it is it's awkward it, it's it's it, there's no baseline for it you don't have any reference for mm-hmm. it um you think you're educated people, you, you've, you've talked to people all day long, and you, you do things, you rent apartments, you buy groceries, you know, but, but, but this kind of a transaction, for some reason, was just it was awkward and foreign and, yeah. and, and, and uneasy. Um, and now I know why. Um, I'm taking a leap, but so were they. Mm-hmm. I'm accepting this money. I'm going to sell these four pieces. What leap is the it. artist taking in, in trusting you? I mean, both in that situation where it was very early on, but just now in general, if you were to go and buy... An artist's work. Well, on possibly a few levels, they may not even had a bank account, so now they're going to have to open one. Yeah, that's a sort of a leap. 
Yeah. Um, now they're going to be on record because you have a bank account. They might have to pay taxes. Um, they also, um, it's probably a lot more money than they've had in a while. Yeah. What are you going to do with it? Yeah. Um, also. Which is stressful when you're, when you're living hand to mouth, really, like, and you suddenly get, you know, a big tax return or something like that. Mm-hmm. It is, it, it injects stress into your life in an unexpected way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's what was going on because, you know, what next? What's the next step? Well, it almost um, makes it real in a sense. So it's no longer abstract. Like you you could be a a failure or a success, but now you're definitely in the game. Yes, because the, you know, the the true reality of this is that once as an artist, if you decide to sell a piece of work, it doesn't matter what it is. Mm -hmm. You called it art. Someone said, I want it. You sold it to them. That is no different than an apple and orange to mm-hmm. be traded on the open market. Because mm-hmm. that's the line you've actually crossed. It's no longer that's your true. piece of art. It's no longer an artwork. You know, when you talked earlier about people treating it as an asset, in one context, it is. Right. Whether you like it or not. It's how you perceive it and how you use it mm-hmm. and how you want it to be in your world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, people really want the asset part. Yeah, that's 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 a that's a recent phenomenon. Well, you don't um, want to feel like you're burning your money. I mean, you know what I mean. Like you're paying for something that you I, have I perceived value, and yeah. they're you know they've set that value for themselves. And also, high net worth individuals um, have advisors who tell them, you know, the economy is going this way, the economy is going that way. It's probably time to invest in this. Don't real estate's not so good anymore. Buy more art. Exactly. Do they get to the point, since this is a world I'm so far removed from, do they get to the point where they say, this era is really big right now, invest in this, or steer clear of this, the market's dropped out for yes. this? Yes, oh, yeah. I, I do, totally. I do actually, an actual real example in my life of a oh, person yeah. who lives that life, yes. yes. It's fascinating. Well, and I mean, for just to I mean, further uh, emphasize what you're saying, I mean, art is an asset and it doesn't usually change value when when um, stock markets rise and fall. So it's mm-hmm. a it's an asset that is a you know fairly safe, you know, shelter for, you know, X amount mm-hmm. of dollars or whatever. So and it can, mm-hmm. you know, be a stepping stone to build wealth. So it's not just it I, I you know, I poo-poo the idea of an asset, but there are certain reasons why that is a legitimate claim. So Yes, and also I've I've uh, I was persuaded um by an artist friend after a, a, only a, a couple of years. He said, "Listen, you know, you just bought a small home you have homeowners insurance you need to have that art evaluated because these mm-hmm. people are now moving into galleries there are there's value attached to their work which didn't exist before and you need to get these things insured now if there was a fire the artist can't replace these pieces right. but you could get a a, a payout um, for your investment. Mm-hmm. I was really uneasy about that. I was going to say, were you, one, surprised by that, that advice, and two, were you even receptive to it? I got a second and third opinion. Um, I became more receptive. Not for this reason. Um, I had to do something I didn't think I was going to do and wasn't sure I wanted to do and I was very nervous to do. I had to approach an actual blue chip gallery to get them to evaluate to value the work. Now, I'm not a player. Yeah. I I'm just happen to be a person that has a lot of work from this artist before yeah. they were famous. Right. And so, but it also turns out that they have a responsibility. If they represent that artist, They it's done for free. They don't have to do it, but it's looked upon as, as part of their mission. Absolutely. Because they want to know that that artist, like, if there are, that that part work of exists. Evaluating their body of work as mm-hmm. a whole. And also, it was also important to to my wife that you know, th- I know you're shy about it. You keep these things at home because you love them. And you're gonna, you're never mm-hmm. gonna sell them, and you you love getting up every mm-hmm. day and feeling you're so lucky to have these. And that's still true 15 years later. Mm-hmm. However, I did have to face certain realities about, um, you know, sort of protecting it, mm-hmm. um, in a certain way, and um, the 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 irony of that was <laughs> that the gallery didn't have a reference for what the value should be of this work yet because people had been purchasing it, but no one had done anything with the art yet. No one had even framed one. They didn't even know how to frame it. The artist had a suggestion, but it wasn't a perfect solution. I came up with a solution. I found some local framers who were willing to help me Uh figure this out. Um, And they did. Um, But 
and I could show pictures like, hey, now I'm protecting and I'm actually physically protecting it. Right. Okay. With the right materials. I would show those to the gallery and the pictures and everything like that. But they still were like, you know, we have to work with the artist because we have no idea what number to assign. But you got to sign a number. What number is it going to be? You know? And so they came up with something eventually. Did and the numbers surprise you? Yeah. <laughs> On the low side or the high side? They, they went way up um, <laughs> in a couple of years. Yeah. I, I thought that that was completely artificial. I think that they were they were maybe trying to establish a baseline for themselves. Like, okay, so now we know we can sell the them for at least this. Runner, yeah. yeah, like I didn't pay anywhere near that right. for, for them, but they decided to evaluate at this number. They probably thought about it a long time. Like, oh, how sure. can we use this for our advantage? Um, and so now they've established a baseline for what yeah. this stuff is worth. We can sell it for at least that to our customers. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not in the room with them. I'm assuming that this is how it all played out. I've had a long no, time to think sure. about it. Let's let's talk about the kind of work. I mean, I, I know it's uh, street art that you collect, but can you give us some idea whether or not you want to name the artists of why the work attracts you personally? What is there commonality to these works? Like what is drawing you to these specific works that you collect? Great question. Um, it was extremely important for me once I decided that I was going to continue mm -hmm. getting stuff purchasing from different artists that I wanted originals. For some reason, I like the hand uh, touch, mm -hmm. the handmade stuff. Mm -hmm. I didn't want a print or an edition or anything mm -hmm. like that. Some of them had some beautiful stuff in that in those categories, but I wanted something original. And presumably more affordable, right? If you were to buy... Yes. Um, uh, numbered editions and prints are much more affordable, but I, I, I can tell you that I've seen it done and they put 100% into that as well. Mm. So you're getting value even though it's a, it's a lower price. I... The world needs that because yeah. if you want to, we don't have a lot of money. A lot of us, right? Yeah. And we've talked about this. You know, it's it's. Um, I got lucky mm -hmm. that 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 I met some people early in their careers, and they were willing to sell them to me after building a relationship. Mm -hmm. um, I there's no way I could afford them now. Uh, most yeah. people can't. Um, but it's. Um, I I just it was important to me mm -hmm. to have originals, mm -hmm. um, and most of it was. Uh, if you if you print something. And you wheat paste it on the side of a building. Yeah. You can print it again, but it's not the exact same thing. Yeah. It's not an addition. It's not number two. It's a different object. Mm -hmm. You're going to go wheat paste it on another building. And there's going to be a certain element that's different than the first one. Yeah. I was. That's what I was looking for. Mm -hmm. You know, I want the ones that you're, you're literally using your hands to make mm -hmm. and um, sticking up here or there. Mm -hmm. um, and also... The craftsmanship, some of the stuff is, when you really look at it closely, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's incredible. Is the artist's personal story important to you? No. Um, in some cases... Thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> I always have to have a story for everything. I can't... <laughs> I mean, we are, like I said to you on, on the way over, this on the way over thing where, if you know, we mentioned everything. Identity is having a moment, right? That's our moment, everyone. But I, I'm with you. I don't, that I actually don't want to know. It For me, it's a, it layers a possibly complicated thing onto the, the object or the story, you know. That's for, interesting. It makes it a more accessible entry point for me. Like when I, I. Huh. I think about it in terms of two things, which is like two things I'm interested in. One is art and one is boxing. <laughs> if I know the story of the boxer, if I know the story of the painter, it helps me emotionally approach it in huh. a way. But I do recognize there's two completely different ways to approach that, that you don't necessarily need that. Or and that some people bounce. prefer not to have that. Yeah, because like what if that person's a dick and then you're like, oh, you ruined this And almost me. everybody's a dick at yeah, some point. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, I... Um, when I'd go to these shows, I, I would go in early as possible, as fast as possible. I'd race through the, yeah. the place to look at everything. Before I knew who the names were, before I read any of the press releases, mm -hmm. I just wanted to respond to the art. Mm -hmm. That worked for me. Uh, and it and I always Two was able to find one. a piece. There's something about going early and just taking it all in. And, yeah. and there would always be something in the little corner down there. It's like, that's the one. Yeah. Really? That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> And and it's it always it, I got lucky I mean it always worked that way and then I would backtrack and say oh, okay mm -hmm. who's this and you know so, blah blah and so try to meet them and, to clarify know. I just want so did you so out of after the initial like sighting in the real world did you often buy from the artists that you 
you know, observed in the shows or did you buy from the show's organizers? Do you know what I mean? Because I, I, I wonder about that. Another very good question. Um, when I was starting out, um, it was directly with the artists. Mm-hmm. I preferred that. It was already yeah. nerve-wracking enough. <laughs> um, but it was, it, it was genuine. Yeah. Um, and I can't emphasize that word enough. Um, if someone asks me, you know, what's the one quality you should have if you actually want to do something like this is be genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, no bullshit. Um, you, you know, just to be as honest as you can why you like it. You mm-hmm. don't have to agree or even understand the artist's interpretation of what they're trying to do. Just digest that and maybe that'll come later and add to why you like the work. But it's, it should be about why you like it. Mm-hmm. And, and if you have strong feelings, you know, I found it much easier to um, be in the artist's space where they mm-hmm. felt comfortable. Mm-hmm. It's their studio, their space. Um, eventually, I did have to deal with people that they were representing. Um, that's a completely different thing. I, it's, it's night and day. Mm-hmm. Um, that is business. That is a pure t- financial transaction. They identify you as a collector. Like, it's not even a name. Like, you're Does a collector. Does that take some of the joy out of it? Uh, 99%. Really? Yeah. For me, it did. Yeah. I didn't want to be that person. That's not what I was aspiring to. Right. I wasn't aspiring to anything other than bring a lot of beauty into my my. Mm-hmm. physical residence mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think and share with other people that's underlying all of the things you're saying that almost like you collecting is this a word that was eventually applied to you but you were doing the thing you were doing in a really sincere way and then it was like oh you're right i am that and then mm-hmm. all of the the stressors or the realities that come with valuing insurance the th- you know what I mean when you yeah. all of the a sudden realize you're yeah well I mean a thing you love and then you realize it's a you know let's say fifty thousand dollars on your wall or whatever it becomes a very different situation for you so it does it does uh, but the the trick is to not look at it as a commodity that I might have to give up for to pay a bill that could happen. That could happen tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, I try to keep that at bay. And I wondered about that because that's the other thing about art as an asset is that you can get a quick payoff. Like you can get it sold. Um, I have a question here with, oh, yeah. that starts off with let, let's get existential. So <laughs> can we talk a little bit about the what ifs? Like have you given thought to what happens if there's a financial emergency, what you're willing to part with? Have you given thought to, you know, what if your kids grow up and they're not interested in this? Do they get the collection? What happens to the collection? I have thought about all those things um, because I have started a family Mm -hmm. and I um, want them to grow up around it. Now, Mm -hmm. they're going to have their own response to it. You're right. They may not. Whatever, Dad. You know, (laughs) Um, but and they're and you know they have to live with some pretty big pieces, you know, so yeah. that could be overwhelming for a young child too. So I have to be careful about that. I do think about their future with mm-hmm. this in the terms of it would be a nice thing to pass on. Mm-hmm. Um, and to pass on is back to the old conversation that, you know, to do that, I have to make it known yes. that I have these pieces Declare and I'm this person them. and this yeah. is where I live and this is my contact information and that I'm, I exist. Yeah. Um, and that could go in a different tangent as well because once you get to a level I have found where you're holding work of people that are just keep going and going mm-hmm. and going and going, there's vested interests that may not want people to know that you exist. You know, they want their stuff to be more important than your stuff. Interesting. Yep. So it's I've led the quiet life with this, but I may be faced ultimately with having to legitimize, you know, my collection. You know, how do you get outed in that sense? Like who if someone wants you to sort of be quieted for for lack of a better explanation, what are the mechanics? How would that happen or why would that happen? I I think that I don't know. It's it's I think about it a lot. It's I'm I'm a bit scared about it because Mm -hmm. I want it. I want it still to have a place in the world. It's kind of in jail right now in my house, yeah. in a way. And so it's it's you know it's it's mine, but it's it it should it needs people need to know that it exists. Mm-hmm. It's part of a larger body of work. These artists are going to get older someday, and mm-hmm. they're going to have a mid career survey. There's going to be a call for works that are representative mm-hmm. of you know uh, the timeline. Mm-hmm. And you know I I know that I have 
early works, probably the only person that may have a lot yeah. of the important early works. Um, just that's how it happened. Um, These artists are now in their 40s, 50s? They're approaching 40. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, they're approaching 40. So, um, yeah, I... Um, You know, I'd like it to be a legacy for, for my kids. Mm -hmm. um, I like it to, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, um, but also not to add to stress for you, but it is an <laughs> opportunity that, I mean, if you have a collection that is, and it, it sounds like it is thematic, right? Thematically strong of a certain um, era, mm -hmm. ex artists, you know, names. You know, that's a collection that might interest uh, a museum or an organization as a whole. And mm -hmm. and that becomes a collection that you would be able to give. And all of the th strings attached and the, you know, the rigmarole True. associated with that. But that's another way. But it completely divests it from you and your family. And that, it sounds like such, it's been such a personal thing and even came out of a mm -hmm. almost like a personal moment of crisis with the accident mm -hmm. and all of the things that came of it so you know <laughs> yeah no it's 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 all it's all true i um i think that well one one thing that did happen a, a few years later was that um the, the this person that i was collecting um i i do have a a larger collection of other artists to, from that era that i have but by far one artist mm -hmm. i have a lot more pieces of um That person, that person necessarily um, has had more than one representation over time mm -hmm. in different countries and different, even different people in this city. Um, I did uh, contact um, a secondary one, approach them, and I said, listen, can I have another valuation? This is, I showed them the original one. Mm -hmm. and I said, you, you know, so it took a while to build that relationship, and finally that person right. came over. He jacked up the prices even more. <laughs> Are you kidding? No. And, I'm totally not surprised at that. And, and he said, he, <laughs> he did not put it on paper, though. So I, the, all I have is the original one that was yeah. done, like, in 2007. Um, but he did look at everything I had, and um, I laid it all out, and he said, you know, The thing about this collection is you have, I know you, you said, I know you have one piece here that probably nobody else has, including mm -hmm. me. Like, like you have an illustration, an actual mm -hmm. original illustration from this artist. Everyone sees the final product. Yep. You actually have a, a, a charcoal drawing of one of the, the, the characters from this artist. And um, he said, that's, that's going to be valuable. He said, one thing you might want to think about mm -hmm. is that there are institutions in this country where you can donate um, two pieces for free. Mm -hmm. And the rest of your sales for life is pretty much going to be tax free or uh, tax reduced if you really yeah yeah. There's a scheme for that. I That's I have to find out the right, details. You get to be in all those schemes now. <laughs> all those yeah the loopholes of the you know we were talking about yeah. you. We thought you were normal. We've been bamboozled. It's what the other guy said. It is said. not an ordinary dude <laughs> I in didn't the say studio. That. It's what he told me I could do. <laughs> He's a guy who gets that is breaks. so wild, man. I I just I have been like. Shivers of delight over your story because it is so like boy makes good like yeah. art collector who did it right and who said all the things and nobody even like we were not putting the screws to you you I think are doing it for all of the reasons that show I could see it even the anguish and the stress like these are you say you have or you said off the air you had a couple of kids you actually have like rooms and rooms full of them I think you care deeply mm -hmm. though differently about these um, artworks in a way that uh, I just find like it's like the purest form mm -hmm. of, of collecting I think it's what artists would hope is yes. how their work is collected uh, that's the other thing because we have a lot of artists who listen to our podcast and it is um, or that's our audience I, I think they would feel so pleased and um, complimented mm -hmm. by the care and um, sensitivity with which you, you, you approach the artists you liked, but also with which you studied, you know, the work and, and made it a part of your life. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's uh, I think the original um, shout out to me if I'd be interested in doing this was you, you said, you know, you want to talk about your journey mm -hmm. for lack of a better word it, it's it's the best word for it it's, it's yeah. absolutely been a journey yeah that's awesome so uh, if you had to advise someone who they have a few hundred dollars they have a few thousand dollars they could um potentially collect with um let's say they abstractly want to get involved with this they know they want to collect because collecting is important to them it's something that they want to have for the rest of their life 
How would you recommend they go about doing it? How would you recommend they go about finding someone whose work they like? That's something I don't think I can help them with. They're going to have to find that part themselves. Mm -hmm. Everything else I can say will be helpful based on my my experience. Mm -hmm. How you find what you might like is going to require time and energy and mm -hmm. um, looking. <laughs> it's a lot of looking Effort. and um, yeah, looking in the right place. There's no magic formula for this. Um, but what I would say is if you have the bug to collect for whatever mm -hmm. reason, go local, mm -hmm. go small. Um, the smallest piece for $100, I can guarantee you the first time you buy your first piece, even if it's $25 and there's bigger pieces in the room for 1000 it's going to be traumatic. You're wondering if you did the right thing. Mm -hmm. If I crossed over into something that I'm I'm not ready for, mm -hmm. you're going to think about it for a few days and wonder about this. You don't even get the work till the end of the show, so you mm -hmm. have more time to agonize over this. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and then you got to come up with the goods, the money at the end, and um, you know it's it's that first one is really really hard. Mm -hmm. And um, but once you get through it and you put it on your wall. There's nothing like it. Mm -hmm. There's nothing like it. If it's, it's something that you felt strongly about and now it's sitting in your home and mm -hmm. you get to be the luckiest person in the world to get up every morning and see it, mm -hmm. it's worth it. Yeah, it's like poetry. This is <laughs> speaking poetry. Well, I think that's a lovely sentiment to go out on. So I really thank you for telling us about your collecting journey and hopefully encouraging some of the listeners out there to begin one too. Just be genuine. All right. So if you're thinking about becoming a collector, um, we put together some really helpful fast and dirty tips that help you know how to buy, where to buy, how you're going to do it, who to talk to, all of that good stuff. And we're going to have that available in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. Excellent. So then what we want to wrap up with is the sensibility of collecting in the 22nd century, the future, predictions. Um, if there even is one. <laughs> if there is even a world to collect in. Oh, so dark. Um, for me, the first thing I think will be coming more and more common is crowdsourcing purchases of art. So in April 2018, a Picasso painting that was sold for $2 million was bought by 25,000 people in... Go figure. I mean, I don't know why that is go figure, but Switzerland. Um, each person <laughs> paid around $51 to co-own the piece, and then it went on tour, and all of those 25,000 people got, like, a free pass and, like, a weird... Hell yeah. Yeah, like a little, you know, almost like a baseball card with their name and identity or whatever on it and, uh, and allows them to come and see it. So I think that could become more and more common, um, especially, wait for it, the uh, the... I don't know. I feel like I've said this word every time in our podcast, blockchain technology. <laughs> That's the most offensive word you can say. Um, so I think that will be it. Online buying is definitely going to increase. VR is going to play a part in that. When you say VR, what do you mean? Um, I think you're going to be able to see the work with more detail. So let's say, you know, buying a painting that is all about the impasto and the actual paint on the surface, you probably have a better sense of that in VR um, as opposed to, you know, just some images uh, for now. So that could, you know, close the gap in buying work that you are not in front of. Um, more middle range art sitting in museum holdings is going to come to the market um, just because I think museums are going to uh, throw off the stigma of that for good or for bad, um, depending on what you think. And um, millennials are three more three times more likely to sell art than boomers. So they're, might, they're trying to pay their bills. Yeah. So there's going to be some more sell centric activity and conversation. Right. So we were all about the buying, but maybe the selling stuff will become more um, important. But um, what are your takeaways, Sam, for art collecting and all of the really kindly said words of wisdom that Mike brought to our table? Um, I, my takeaways in terms of where I think we're going in the future, I think my hope would be that we're going to have more people like Mike who are doing it purely for the joy of it. Um, kind of related to that as we move into the 22nd century or in the next couple of decades, I think what we might be seeing more of is sort of art as social justice. So just like people are kind of crowdfunding purchases of these really expensive works of art, mm -hmm. um, and that way they're making art more accessible. Mm 
Um, if they're putting that on a tour where it's free and everyone can see it, that's, uh, you know, a thousand people who might never have gone Amazing to the capital access. city of that country yep. and paid money to get into that museum um, who actually get to see the work in person. Such a beautiful point. Yeah. I also think that we'll probably be seeing more um, similar to what Mike was talking about with relationship building, but kind of from a social justice perspective where you want to support um, underrepresented artists and you're using your art purchases. You're actually, you know, talking with your money. Yep. You're saying that I want to support these people. And similar to that, I think we're kind of going to enter a golden age of of art patronage again and commissioning. So the internet, oh. I really feel like, has brought that about. Like, it's so much easier to personally connect with an artist. Um, and I think it might even be easier to sort of commission more personal works. So whether that's for good or bad, um, because it's, you know, not necessarily going to be the artist's vision, I think in order to pay their bills, people are going to be more open to saying like, yes, I will, you know, create something for you along these very specific lines you've asked for. And I also think in terms of patronage with things like crowdfunding and Patreon, I think we will almost see more of a, you know, for my $10 a month, you are going to interact with me, maybe you'll send me a doodle in the mail. Mm -hmm. But I, I do think that in those ways, uh, art will become more connected again, and more personal in that way. So I, would, I think that's what we're seeing. I would live in that world that you described. I know, I'm into it's it. Beautiful. All right. Well, then. everybody can potentially be your artist friend. I mean, I think that that's something that could actually happen. So then, two things to send people off with in my mind: there are probably undiscovered art heroes in your backyard. Find them. Mm -hmm. This is not about going to New York or a major a major city. I think creatives are making things right near you. Find them, and then. In defiance of this millennial shift or tendency, buy art you love. You may be cash poor, but you will be art rich and you will love yourself for it. Oh, one other quick tip. I know. <laughs> Sam, I'm, we're trying to wrap like it up. It was a powerful ender. God, it's so perfect. I'm sorry. I just thought of one more. Like, Go, ruiner. Um, it's all like the things. age of bartering. Mm -hmm. So maybe oh. you are a massage therapist who's willing to trade oh, some okay. of your work for art. Maybe, maybe you are, you know, a baker who's willing to bake cakes for somebody. You know, I really. As fewer people have money, yep, yeah, we're all going to have to get creative with how to um, meet our needs. And the reality is that art um, and access to it is very much a human need, um, and anything we can do to support that, we're we're for. Um, so that was I ruined your perfect ending. No, but you anyway, can have it. Have anyway, it. thank you, <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode. Be sure to join us next time. Art Openings is brought to you by Artist Network and is recorded at Banana Peel Studios in Brooklyn, New York. This podcast is produced by Courtney Jordan and Samantha Sanders with audio production by Chris Weingarten. Thanks for listening and be sure to rate us on iTunes. Music